podcasting from the beautiful Mile High City. You're listening to the Do It Again podcast, the official podcast of scientific wrestling, the undisputed leader in no-holds-barred catch-as-catch-can wrestling. Here's your host, Jake Shannon. Welcome to the Scientific Wrestling Podcast. My name is Jake Shannon. I am the founder of Scientific Wrestling. Uh, You can visit us at scientificwrestling.com. We are the leaders in No Holds Barred Catches Catch Can Wrestling. We got a ton of uh, instructionals, historical uh, resources, all kinds of stuff at the website. Um, I am toying with this idea of possibly doing a regular podcast. I've done them kind of intermittently before. I've had Billy Wicks on. I've had, uh, you know, everybody hopefully listening to this has heard my my conversations with Carl Gotch, my uh, talks with Billy Robinson or Wade Chalice and these other uh, legends trying to promote the sport of catch-as-catch-can wrestling. Um, I was very excited. Uh, I mean, 2018 has been a great year. I'm really looking forward to 2019. Uh, We've got the King of Catch Wrestling Championship coming up January 19th at the I-Bar in downtown Orlando, the independent bar. You can go online to kingofcatchwrestling.com, check out the athlete bios, check out the rule set. Um, You can order your pay-per-view, which is very affordable. I think it's at a $14 price point. Uh, Very excited for 2019. Uh, We're wrapping up 2018. One of the highlights for me in 2018 was stumbling upon a book. And in fact, it was uh, my friend and uh, a hero of mine in in, uh, writing, especially uh, sport writing, Mark Hewitt, turned me on to this book. Uh, The author is uh, is a gentleman that I've actually got on the line and I want to introduce you guys. And I thought, I was talking to him and I thought, you know, I think more people would benefit from hearing this conversation than just himself and I. Uh, the name of the book is The Story of Catch by Ruslan Pashaev. And I hope I'm getting his name right. He can correct me if I was wrong about the pronunciation. The Story of Catch, the story of Lancashire Catches Catch Can Wrestling, the first 50 years, 1820 to 1870. And we have Ruslan on the line with us. Uh, are you there, Ruslan? Can you hear us? Yeah. Hello, Jake. Hello, everyone. I'm happy to join the conversation. And I want to thank you, Jake, uh, for the opportunity uh, to share my knowledge and um, all what I've been discovered uh, lately on the history of Lancashire Cassius uh, Kitchcan wrestling. Yeah. So now, Ruslan, one thing uh, we've been trying to figure out this new technology. So um, Ruslan, and I've been kind of going back and forth. Um, you are kind of cutting in and out just a little bit, Ruslan. So just if there's a place you could sit in your house that might have better uh, Wi-Fi reception or whatever, I th- we'll, well, let's just keep going and see how it goes. Um, this book is amazing. First of all, the name of it is The Story of Catch. And you just type that into Amazon.com because it's a Kindle book. I know he's working on uh, getting a, um, uh, a soft cover and possibly a hardcover version. This is an incredible book. Um, as people know, I, th- that are listening to this 
podcast, hopefully. Um, you know, I've been really uh, single-mindedly uh, pursuing resurrecting the sport of catch-as-catch-can wrestling. And, you know, I've been trying to bring step up the level of the game a little bit uh, from when I got involved way back in 2000, uh, the early 2000s. And uh, one of those things that I tried to do is to bring a more academic approach to um, the history and whatnot. And that is one of the most amazing things about this book. Again, The Story of Catch by Ruslan Pashaev, last name P-A-S-H-A-Y-E-V. The Story of yeah, you- Catch is Catch Cut Wrestling. I, the bibliography in this book alone is amazing. But what I love is that the, the, the amount of research, and I know he didn't do it all himself, but I mean, he, he's the author. It, it, nobody, you know, nobody does anything completely, but, but he's done an incredible, incredible job putting this information together. I highly recommend it. Uh, l- let me just start by asking, uh, so Ruslan, what is your interest in Catch as Catch Can? What you clearly had to do a lot of work and it took a lot of time to put this book together, the first 50 years of catch wrestling. Um, why, why get involved? What, what drove you? All right. <laughs> the thing is, uh, my pro wrestling, and it's interesting for me, uh, I discovered for myself even the term of Catch as Catch Can probably a few years ago for for many many years it for me it was pro wrestling that why that i was really a fan of and my first uh i call it my first promotion was that promotion that lou fast and billy robinson and uh, jenny hodge uh, they had it in japan uh in the early 90s and yeah, the, U- the uwfi the uwfi yeah, exactly exactly that conquered me I was a teenager, and when I watched it first time, I was like, wow, that's unbelievable. That kind of pro wrestling I didn't even know could exist. So that that was just like uh, something unbelievable. And um, uh, But again, it was for me, it was just one of the pro wrestlings, you know, they, they called it the uh, shoot fighting and there were some other things that they added to actual wrestling and uh, uh, like kicking was allowed and some other techniques were allowed and uh, but yeah it was just for me pro wrestling my cash as catch can journey started probably uh, probably when I started doing researches independently about uh, 2005, I would say. Um, the thing is, uh, first you become a fan. That's how my evolution uh, went. You know, then you get involved. You 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 have questions. You you want to get answers. You start getting books, reading those books. You like it's a journey. I believe that every single wrestling fan, every single wrestling fan uh, had similar experiences that I had. And uh, we all, fans, we all had those questions and we wanted them to get answered at some point. So I started researching uh, probably in 2005 and um, about uh, six or seven years ago, I was lucky to meet uh, a great researcher 
Online, uh, Steve Yoke, uh, Mark Hewitt, uh, Don Luke, and Ben Anderson. And since I met them, my research has started to be more, uh, I would say, organized and I started making records and like, having a journals and everything. And uh, so that's how it started for me. Probably probably six, seven years ago, uh, I started being a serious researcher, if, you, if we would come that way. Well, I mean, the book is really top-notch. And I think, you know, both uh, we in a, a prior phone call, you and I both kind of talked about how we uh, have – math backgrounds and we're a little maybe uh, more detail oriented than your average person. And I think that's what I've really enjoyed about the book because, you know, I went, I, my, my research has been a little bit different instead of, you know, and, and Mark Hewitt, by the way, uh, again, shout out to Mark Hewitt. I hope he's listening. Um, he's a hero of mine. He was one of the guys I was reading his works way early on and he really inspired me to start my own uh, writing journey uh, with regards to this. But I, in addition to looking at things like newspaper clippings and whatnot, I felt it was really important to get um, firsthand um, accounts. And so I, be, I was very fortunate to befriend guys like Carl Gotch and Billy Robbins and these other guys. Anyway, the whole reason I bring this up is that um, I was um, originally hearing the stuff that you're writing about in this book, The Story of Catch from Carl Gotch and, and in particular things like that nobody really has known. And I've tried to clue people in, but they don't get it. They, they seem to still be buying like ad copy from websites from the early 2000s and stuff. But the real truth is, is that um, you, you mentioned the UWFI and it included kicks and whatnot. Well, I remember having these conversations with Carl and he would tell me about uh, purring. And, and, and this shin kicking thing that they, that they do up in that area where catch is catch can is popular or used to do. And I loved it because Carl was one of Carl and Billy both would tell me these stories and yours is the first book I've seen included and show how things like purring and the rough and tumble are actually connected to the history of catch is catch can and were, you know, part of the foundation. So I am so excited for people to read your book. Uh, yes, uh, I would say for me, uh, it's it all has started, like I said, six years ago. And, uh, there is a research, great researcher in Wisconsin. His name is Dan Anderson. He's been collecting uh, uh, materials on Lancashire wrestling uh, for for years. And uh, then I uh, I joined the group, as we would say, and we started collecting collecting the materials together. It was mostly uh, the British Library uh, uh, archives, basically newspaper archives, and we worked directly with British Library, trying to, like you mentioned, to to work with old newspapers, and uh, then started communicating with. Uh, in East Lancashire, uh, Manchester Central Library, I would say, uh, Salford Library, um, other local, uh, their local libraries in all, all those localities, uh, Bolton Library, 
uh, obviously Bury Library and all those towns that were Ashton, uh, Oldham, uh, Wigan, all those towns that were historically associated with catch can wrestling. And I would say uh, what was discovered shortly that all that exists is, uh, is a verbal oral tradition. Like, uh, like there was no really clear knowledge on how it all has started. And uh, Dan and I, we were going over those newspaper articles and we were like, okay, now we have 1840s. Now we have 1830s. Now we have 1820s. And then something happened. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. We, we, we hit the wall. Like we were like, okay, man, that's impossible. Like all of a sudden... In whatever 1825, we, we have some wrestling matches going on in East Lancashire. But what was before that? That just cannot be like that. And we started going over that stuff heavier, like trying to dig more into the cultural background, you know. And uh, that's where the libraries really helped because uh, I personally myself contacted I would say most of the libraries and uh, in East Lancashire and uh, was addressing those questions. What were, what were the traditional, what the traditional combative sports there? I realized that, I mean, if there was wrestling that probably wasn't known as catch a sketch can wrestling because catch a sketch can, the, the term itself existed in England even before, uh, <laughs> even before the introduction of Lancashire catch as catch can catch as catch can wrestling existed uh, in uh, other areas of uh, of England in 1700s and it's it was widely i'd say covered by some authors you know and but that wasn't Lancashire catch as catch can so it was confusing yeah and, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult because the the terminology you know, that's one thing. It's very funny because I, I kind of wear a bunch of different hats uh, in the, in uh -huh. the catch, catch can world. And and one of them is I, I do coach athletes still. And, you know, one of the weird things uh, that I always keep noticing, and, and it's funny because it used to uh, uh, drive Billy Robinson crazy in Kalagach too, is everybody wanted to have a name for this move. What do you call this and what's that? And they just used to laugh. They'd be like, you know, I don't give a shit what the name is. Can you do it right? And right, right, right. The, the, thing, the terminology the I, can. <laughs> the thing that I find interesting, Ruslan, and I'm sorry to interrupt, though, uh, and hopefully this will transition us a little bit into your work more. Um, you know, the catch is catch can. Uh, that is the one that people kind of know of today, which is originally out of Lancashire. Um, a lot of these, the, the history and the terms and whatnot. I learned this originally from a guy named Dave Turton. Uh, when I was out in uh, England in Doncaster doing seminars with Billy Robinson, I was talking mm -hmm. to a, a gentleman who's been in martial arts and uh, interested in wrestling and whatnot. Uh, and he's local, you know, he's up in the, in uh, I I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he's in Doncaster, but he knows a lot about the catch as catch can history. Anyway, we were talking and terms that are used for techniques like uh, hype or Hank or Gravit, Right, right, right. Those historical, historical names, historical yeah, but they're names. All, right. They're the all proper. terms. Yeah, but they're all terms for people working with wool. 
Like they were weavers. They were people who were like uh, making clothes and things of that nature. And that's why they right, ended up right, naming right. the, the are, wrestling technique. Like, right. Like, like after uh, wool, like, you know, techniques to, right, to make right, right, products right. out of wool. Right. So that's that's true. So the terminology, that's why terminology can go a little, can lead you a little astray. And that's why we kind of, like I said, we hit a wall with that terminology. It wasn't he, uh, helping us anyhow. And at certain point, uh, we found uh, one report, and I remember that clear, it was revealing. That report in one of the newspapers changed the whole I would stay study and affected the research significantly. Uh, that was uh, one of the major wrestling stars of uh, 1840s. His name was um, James Matley. He he was from Ashton Underline. That's one of the towns uh, in uh, East Lancashire. Uh, and so, in his challenge. Because back then they were issuing challenges through the newspapers, using newspapers, and yeah. didn't call his style of wrestling, catch as catch can, or Lancashire wrestling. He was very specific. He called it up and down wrestling. Mm. And that changed it all for me individually. I was like, wow, that man is not just calling it, he's, he's describing it. Yeah. He's, he's literally making sure that whomever's going to accept that challenge that he is issuing at his own weight, whatever 10 stone weight it was, he's making clear that he's going to wrestle that person up and down. Down being the, the important word because most people look like down wrestling right. was not right. really a thing that was looked upon to do. Right. That right. was a revolutionary exactly. idea, yeah. Right, exactly. So the thing is, uh, in English folk wrestling, <laughs> in English folk wrestling, there was no such a thing as down wrestling. There was only up rest like the, the stand-up wrestling. There was no... Uh, the the ground wrestling didn't exist. I mean, uh, even <laughs> whenever in the 1700s they called it catch as catch can, it was catch as catch can above the waist, and there was no ground wrestling. And when that guy uh, from Ashton, James Matley, says, uh, "I will wrestle you at." up and down wrestling, that was revelation. And then the research uh, started being more productive because shortly after that was discovered, um, I found uh, that actually that territory, we'll just call it East Lancashire, uh, was since probably 1600s was famous for what was known as up and down fighting. Uh, no one really could give, uh, like, it is a well-known fact, but no one really could give a detailed description what and what it was and what were the rules. And the information was kind of confusing 
because no one really studied that area. I mean, no one never had a, like a scientific approach. Okay, what was that thing up and down fighting? And well, uh, well, and there's another there's another kind of um, I don't know what do you want to call it socioeconomic reason too. Insofar as the down part of up and down fighting or up and down wrestling was considered um, gross. It was considered right. unacceptable. Vile. It was it was it was illegal and and the worst thing in the world to wrestle on the ground. Like you could the up fighting, you would win when you took the man off his feet and got him on his back. And that was the extent of it, right? Like 90% of wrestling styles are about taking the man off the feet. And this right. what you're saying, this discovery of the actual clear demarcation that this is up and down really set catches catch can apart from all the other styles. Right. It totally does. It totally does. And that was, like I said, major, basically revealing discovery. And there was another thing that for, for I, 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 for myself, I figured that uh, even, I mean, probably even now, not so many people uh, know that like they don't differentiate purring like you mentioned purring from up and down fighting on they're confused many people are confused whether it is the same or it is different or and if they are different then how it is then how those two things are different the thing is that all took quite a while for me to answer all those questions and i mean i'm very thankful that it finally that it finally became all clear how those two are related and what what was actually that sport uh, about. And I would like to share some information about that. And you you said that uh, Billy Billy Robinson, um, uh, one of the greatest Lancashire Kachaskeshkan wrestlers of the 20th century, and uh, and Carl Gotch, who was one of the greatest catch wrestlers in the world's history, uh, both mentioned purring, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting because the up and down fighting, which is, again, different than up and down wrestling, which is, again, different than purring, uh, which is, again, different from most wrestling styles. You know, you used to, like, there's so many of those um, backhold styles or those styles like collar and elbow where you have to tie up. You start holding each other. And, and purring was right, was like that, right? Like, you held the other guy's uh, jacket and who let go of the jacket first loses while you're kicking. Right, 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 right. You can't let the hold go. You can't let the hold go. Those were the fixed hold styles, as they called it, like back hold, fixed hold, side hold, fixed hold, collar and elbow, fixed hold. If you if you let the hold go, you lose a fall. That's it. And right. you cannot you're not you're not allowed to switch to switch holds. You maintain that original position as soon as you like catch the hold of the guy the guy's jacket or whatever it is right and that's it you can't let it go you you totally can't and um so uh the thing uh what was discovered is that uh the purring which is for for many people uh, still in lancashire if you say purring they will say it's shin kicking right yeah yeah uh, but it is an approximation. It's 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 answering it like very 
surfacey, you know, right. Uh, nowadays, uh, nowadays, pouring is associated with mostly shin kicking, but historically, it was more than that. It was a more descriptive term. I would say up and down fighting and pouring stood for the same, uh, the same thing. It was it was just a two different terms basically describing the same activity, which was Lancashire fighting or up and down fighting. And I would like to talk a little bit about how how it all developed and what were the common rules, if there were rules. I mean, there were some some rules. I mean, it it was kind of all in, like you said, rough and tumble kind of wrestling and fighting all together. But there were still some rules, and I would like to kind of cover that subject a little. That, yeah, no, that, uh, that, that, would be, that would be great. I would like to interject that I remember talking with Carl Gotch uh, about the purring. I didn't even know anything. He was trying to describe it to me. And, you know, he's, he would always remind me that the context of the times was very important. These were times when people were very, very poor, very poor. And... If they had problems, you know, like they would go and hang out at the pub, but if there was a problem or even if they were bored, there was no apps, there was no internet, there was no TV, there, there wasn't even widespread like books and whatnot. But if, if they right. wanted enter entertainment for side bets or they had a problem with somebody, they'd say, let's go out to the cobbles, which is the street, and they would uh -huh. just kick, kick the hell out of each other with, with, with spiked steel shoes until the other person – their shins were like bleeding or broken. And so many people died uh, over these stupid like bets and, and arguments back then. Um, it was very common of dying of like gangrene poisoning and broken legs right. and whatnot. Right. So uh, the, thing, uh, the thing is about up and down fighting. So up and down fighting, um, why they called it fighting in England? Obviously, it was wrestling. If we look uh, at the typical up and down fighting contest, and I'm going to describe one, we will realize that it's in the modern world's realities, we wouldn't call it fighting because uh, fighting kind of <laughs> supposed to have the people throwing punches at each other um, and that kind of stuff, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> like mixed martial arts or UFC or something. Right, 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 right. It has to it has to have fists involved. But when we look at what was called up and down fighting, we realize that it really wasn't nowadays we wouldn't call it fighting. We would actually classify it as wrestling hundred percent. Because how they usually the contest would start. So the men were uh wrestling or fighting, whatever we call it, uh Half naked, basically, uh, they were wearing just shorts, pretty much it. They, uh, they also had um, shoes on, so the shoes originally were heavy wooden shoes known as, as clogs. That's that's a folk. Uh, kind of like uh, shoes that they have in Lancashire. And yep. yes, you mentioned that those shoes were spiked and uh, the soles were spiked uh, and uh, it was 
metal tipped and so basically right any any contact with 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 body would would do a lot of damage any contact of that kind of shoe so what it was the two men like i said half nude uh, would would grab each other by by the shoulders that's that's a beginning hold you know by the upper arms you know or yeah. by the collar and elbow hold uh, meaning uh, one goes for the neck and uh, neck and elbow because i mean obviously they didn't have collars because they were wearing nothing shirtless uh, yeah they were shirtless yeah shirtless they were shirtless yeah so uh so it, it was a collar and elbow hold or just an upper arms hold and then uh they would start uh, the wrestling procedure but it wasn't just uh like collar and elbow hold or let's say upper arms hold it's you keep your opponent on on the distance it's kind of arm's length right right but you were allowed to take any action and you didn't have to maintain that hold so you could switch and close and grab your opponent around the waist and do a bear hug and lift your opponent off the ground throw him to the ground right so that was allowed so you could do you could switch the holds or improve the hold that you already got and uh, another feature is that yes they were kicking and use of legs was uh, huge so they were not just kicking they were tripping so the uh, the back heel and the yeah. outside stroke and all those and the typical high. right the high, typical typical tripping uh, techniques were utilized as well. So what we have right now, this is the up stage. I would prefer to call it an up stage of the contest. Everything was allowed. Yes, you start with an opening hold which we would call a collar and elbow hold or whatever upper arm uh, upper arms hold but then you're allowed to basically do whatever you want yeah, you want to treat your starting, opponent that's just yeah. the starting position is they start there it's and just then the they starting can, position then they have right yeah yeah absolutely it's just a starting position then you want to you you're you feel yourself comfortable at tripping go for that you you're strong enough to lift your opponent off the ground cast him to the ground go for that like there was no limit and one another thing grabbing uh around the neck i mean i'm i want to make that really clear was okay as well so oh, basically yeah. i'm talking about i'm talking about strangulation i'm talking yeah, about I, the strangulation one thing that i've noticed is that i think that there's almost an interesting it's almost like watching business, you know, and in pro wrestling, the professional part means it's business. But just like any business, the rules and regulations seem to get larger and larger as that particular entity goes on and on, right? So barring right. strangles and stuff didn't come until much much later. Right, but as we see originally and it's interesting, uh we call it a stranglehold historically in Lancashire, they called it Lancashire hug. That's funny but <laughs> a Lancashire hug. <laughs> they were just they were just friendly hugging each other by strangling each other to death like gently, right? <laughs> yeah, I I've also heard that uh, a headbutt is called a Chelsea kiss. Uh, yes, and they uh, <laughs> there is another there is so it's Lancashire hug, it's Chelsea kiss, it's 
they also called it Diki. I don't know what, what that means, but that's more in Oldham. It's one of their towns in East Lancashire. They, uh, so they call it Diki. And so, yeah, and so that kind of hold was allowed. Uh, and uh, you want to go for for the headlock? Go for headlock. That's but, fine. But that's just like you're saying. That's just the up part. The div, the, the, the part, kind of yeah. revolution is that See, they said we're not going to just we're not going to just stop on the up fighting. We're going to no, actually not, have up and down fighting. Exactly. So what we can see is that any hold above the waist, we already mentioned, I just want to add Nelsons. And when I say Nelsons, I mean uh, all kinds of Nelsons. I mean quarter, I mean, uh, I mean half, and I mean full. All those Nelsons were fine. Yeah. So now we can say that any kind of action above the waist were okay. I would just add one little more. Another feature is that <laughs> that wasn't all. Actually, you could grab your opponent, opponent's legs, knees, feet, cuffs, <laughs> whatever you want as well. So there was no limitation or any restriction in action whatsoever. And when I say the upstage, or up face of, of, of the up and down fighting include already included, I mean, it all, I mean it. None other style of wrestling, which was known in England at that time, had it all included. It was so the now, only. So now was, this, is, this is the interesting thing, and I don't mean to interrupt, but the interesting thing is that that style now now remember everything's allowed uh it's very brutal and there's they're wearing spiked shoes on top of everything else i mean this sounds right horrible. any kick any kick is 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 murderous because yeah because they're wearing wearing uh spiked shoes it's it's but, a, it, it's but this is typically more of a i mean this is something looked upon like cockfighting or fighting dogs. It's just happens right. to be humans. And these tend to be kind of the poor uh, lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum, the, the blue collar type people that are practicing this sport. And they start making side bets right. to, to make money, right? They turn it into a betting sport. Because I know back then they bet on everything. They bet on like if you could jump into a barrel from standing, I mean, they were just, you know, they didn't have apps. They didn't have, have apps on their phone to kill boredom. They did these crazy physical things and, and either got hurt or whatever or made money, right? It's interesting how that thing was organized. I mean, yes, it was kind of professional sport because people were making money, get paid for that. And so it, those were professionals. Those up and down fighters, they were professionals. And, and, and uh, it was illegal. It was illegal unless it was called it like a bar or a saloon it, or some part like a pub, right? Right. So who were running the business? The 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 beer sellers, the yep. the owners, the owners of those uh, public houses, the, the 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 publicans. They were they were the business owners, and uh, what 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 they would do, like let's say they would hire a group of people, colliers, poor people, like Collier, 
in Victorian England, I mean, we're talking about like, like really poor people. Like they were probably making like a couple of pounds a month or something. And they didn't have that many opportunities in life. So whatever the job offer was, they would go for it. So there was well, no- Well, it reminds me, it's, it's very interesting, right? Because there's so many ways to try to um, transcend your uh, economic class um, right. And, 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 you know, clearly the people who are owning the, the, these uh, pubs, they right. want to make money and they want to draw people and an, an attraction to their pub. So they buy beer. And so they hire these athletes. But it's very similar to the evolution almost anywhere, at least here in the United States. You look at something like the professional basketball, right? Right, very, right, very right. low people who are, are poor or in poverty or grow up on welfare. And unfortunately, in the United States, that's largely, let's say, African Americans. They always, through sports, have this ability to make money and go all the way to the top until you're like, you know, LeBron James or something. You got millions and millions of dollars. Right. And this was the same kind of opportunity. These very poor people who were on the brink of starvation had huge families to provide for. We're willing to go do these dangerous fights with spiked shoes on at the pub to make money because it was just that they were very desperate. That's why they did this dangerous right. thing. It, it, it comes from desperacy. Right. Absolutely. So how it worked. Uh, so basically, uh, the, the pub owner would, would like they would have some events. Right. And one of the entertainments, amusements at those events uh like, I don't know, can be a, like you mentioned wool, right? It can be a wool fair or any kind of fair, you know, yeah. that where they have like some sort of uh, exhibition, athletic, athletic exhibition. So wrestling, I mean, up and down fighting was part of it. And so those publicans, they would hire, uh, I mean, let's say group of men and um, they would just match them and they would have uh, those up and down fights, uh, at, at their facility. So what was the facility? It was usually a field nearby the pub and uh, they would just make like a simple ring. And yes, they were wrestling uh, uh, in the in the field. So that that's what kind of sport it was. Uh, and there were just people like, like a circle, circle of people around, people who were watching those, uh, those fights. And... Uh, so how the people were making money? That's the key question, right? Yeah, so, because and, it's, that's really the driver is that it was a professional sport. This is, yeah, this is was, a point that I wish – it makes me so frustrated because I think so many of the people that are fans of catch wrestling, they, they don't like actually know the history very well, and they have these right, really right, kind of right. strange ideas – I mean, catch wrestling was a professional sport from the very beginning, and it wasn't like a noble thing. It was nasty. Never, never. never. It was a professional. People were paid for it. It was it was up and down fighting, which predated which predated catch as catch can wrestling and up and down wrestling, whatever we call it, was a professional activity from a get go. So the the. The thing is, one thing that I found very interesting is that when when the two men, like not professionals, would challenge each other for up and down fight, uh, usually it's a murder, and someone 
gets like in trouble, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, right. So, but when it is a competition, a professional event, no one gets hurt. And that took a lot of my attention. And I was like, man, I'm going to study that. How's that possible? Like any amateur kind of fight ends up with someone being killed. But well, when it that's, comes to- that's the transition, right? That's the transition from the up and down fighting to the catch as catch can is right, is- right, right. So any amateur event, like amateur event, I mean, like two two guys, like you mentioned, we're sitting drinking, we're unhappy yeah. about each other. Challenge, <laughs> let's go out, let's figure out who's who's the man and who's the better man, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> right, and one just would kill another, you know. Yeah. And, and- they, they believe that it's, it's within the norm, meaning it's up and down, fair. They called it fair, <laughs> up and down, fighting in clogs. So having clogs on mm. and one just gets killed. You know, one just gets killed. But when you have an organized professional event, no one gets killed ever. Well, and then you start having like this notion that eventually evolves where you get licensing from the state because normally a fight is considered an assault and then somebody could file charges or somebody right. gets killed. But now if it's sanctioned by the state, the state's saying, no, listen, these guys <laughs> consented to it. It's totally good. People are making money. We're getting taxes out of it. It's fine. Right, right. That's what I'm trying to say. Exactly. So that's the main difference. That's the main difference. And uh, by the way, back to the down part of the, the, the down uh, part yes, of, the, yes. of the up and down fighting. So, in this particular wrestling style, as we see, by the way, by the way, there was one thing that was prohibited to do in up and down fighting. It was punching. Punching <laughs> with was not allowed. So that was <laughs> when I when I first discovered it for myself, I was like, man, why do you even call it fighting then, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, you guys are wrestling hundred percent. Yeah then why you even call it fighting? And the answer came to me because I just put myself in, uh, in the shoes of those people who were seeing those contests. And the thing is, um, traditionally, uh, when we say English folk wrestling, uh, the, those things were not considered fair. Like they couldn't call wrestling when the two men are grabbing by the legs. Right. They they considering it fair when the two men are gla- grappling on the ground. No, it was unfair. So back then, English people simply couldn't call it wrestling. They couldn't classify it as wrestling. So well, I think I also think this, Ruslan. I think the fact, and it's ironic that you said you put yourself in their shoes. I mean, I think the shoes really are kind of a, a big maybe clue because, um, yeah, sure, there is a wrestling aspect, but in normal wrestling, you're not, you don't have spiked shoes that you're like you, cutting the right. person's shins. That's nasty. That's fighting. Also, like, let's say in some, in some other, like, English folk wrestling styles, like, let's say Devonshire, uh, they yeah. were wearing heavy shoes, and the ki- shin kicking was kind of part of, of their wrestling culture uh, in certain regions, like Lincolnshire, 
Norfolk, uh, Devonshire, they, they liked kicking. So that was okay, but grabbing by the legs, not acceptable. <laughs> not acceptable. So that's why for probably, probably that's why for, for English people, even to call that activity wrestling, they just couldn't do it. So, right. so they just said, okay, let's just call it fighting. And yet, you, as now, like, I personally cannot call it fighting since there were no punches thrown. Like, right. like, see, this is, what, this is why I like it, and it's very similar. It reminds me of the UWFI because, sure, they had slaps, but there was no punching in the UWFI. But they could do, like, they could do Muay Thai kicks, and they, you know, I, I found – Anyway, this, this whole sport is just so exciting to me. I do want to keep, uh, keep it kind of moving. I want people to – I hope you can tell us, so what was that transition? I mean, we know that, that it went from up and down fighting and that it was illegal and then the publicans kind of got involved and started promoting it and hiring people and there were side bets. And eventually they dropped the, sho- the, 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 the spiked shoes. They dropped the um, – to do, the, the they to do it. They had to do it. How did that come about? So tell people how, how it transitioned from this up and down to, to catch his catch can proper. And then maybe you could tell us what's different between the Lancashire catch his catch can and the catch his catch can that was coming out of London even prior. Right. I would love to. I would love to share information about that as well. So the thing is, uh, that sport, up and down fighting, was sure illegal and people got arrested and the the business owners the people who were running the shows they they were unhappy uh, because they were losing money and uh, the the actual the the wrestlers the fighters got in trouble with the law all the time and uh, so they needed to legalize it somehow so let's put it that way around 1820s around that time the publicans decided to legalize uh, this this uh, sport, right? Uh, so what they did, uh, they decided not to call it uh, up and down fighting anymore, and uh, do some important modifications. What's allowed, what's not allowed. So first of all, they called it catch as catch can wrestling. The term the term was widely used in England. Like I said, there were other regions, not Lancashire, uh, other regions in England when where uh, the the term was widely used and um, so uh, but uh, they needed to clarify what they mean when they say lancashire catch a sketch can so they they were just doing what what we call today a rebranding because it was so violent nasty and if they were going to make it legal it's like marijuana today instead of calling it marijuana or weed you call it cannabis and then you get all this different language and you might have a chance of legalizing it Right, exactly. So they started rebranding and they added some, like, did some approximations, you know, like, like simplified stuff. Okay, no spiked shoes. No one's going to do that anymore. No kicking. No kicking whatsoever. So the kicking part was eliminated, number one, because that was the biggest damage, those spiked heavy wooden cloaks and... uh and uh, the broken legs and all that stuff. So they, they got rid of that stuff. So no kicking, uh, just a pure wrestling. 
but they made sure that the wrestling is up and down. So it was not enough to get opponents down. They needed to make sure that the opponents, uh, both shoulders, are properly pressed to the ground. And back then, they didn't even care if it was one, two, three count. Uh, even a rolling fall counted, so it was okay. You don't have so to. So as really the back, anytime the back touches, boom, it's it's any, done. Any kind of back touch is is a fair. Uh, yeah. Also, also one another thing in up and down fighting historically, what was another thing that was different from other wrestling styles popular in England is that they counted submissions as falls as well. Right. So if someone will. Like if the fight goes on, like the one man got another to the ground. Now they're grappling on the ground and uh, couldn't achieve both on their force, couldn't achieve the proper backfall for quite a while. And one guy, because of the exhaustion, I don't know, or maybe because of the stranglehold or Lancashire hug, whatever we call it, is just getting feel really upset. You know, He's, he, he can't continue. You know, he wants to retire from that contest he can just raise his hand up and that is the sign of defeat which is not unlike how people tap out in grappling or mixed martial arts today no back then they were just like raise your hand that means you yep. you gave in that's it that's over so that was an up and down fighting Interesting, but when they created in Lancashire the in 1820s the Kasha Sketch Can Wrestling, at first they kept that thing like the submission, right? But then they changed their mind and they just said, "No, that that brings the memories," you know, because they were <laughs> they were erasing that part of history. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. they were trying to get rid of anything that potentially could remind the up and down fighting. So they said, no submissions, just fair back fall. Right. But interesting, even, so we're talking that 1820s and 1830s, 40s, they already have all those fair back fall, fair back fall. And then just imagine all of a sudden a wrestle in 1850s, and instead of two falls, the guy won the match to submissions. And when you read it, when you read it, you really understand <laughs> that some people didn't want to give up their habits. That's the truth. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's interesting because, I, like I said, as these like sports or whatever they are, any kind of human endeavor, when they first started. They, nobody knows because you're an entrepreneur and you're discovering and there's all these things. And then as the business matures, more and more regulations like safety right. and, and political reasons and whatever, they throw on all these strange rules and regulations. Now, one thing that I find interesting, though, because Catch is Catch Can, because it was run as a business instead of as a state-run opera, operation or something connected to the to the um, monarchy or any kind of like sport of that nature, the rules varied very frequently. Sometimes it would be a, a back touch. Other times it'd be a three point pin, a three count pin. Other times both shoulders had to be down. Other times both shoulders and both hips had to be pinned. 
right. to be counted as a pain. Is, and the thing is very, very good point. Uh, very good point. The thing is in the eighty four. My, my, my point is this: that the point is that that the catch is catch can is kind of a sport of agreements and not of dictates. It's like people exactly. agree to people exactly. agree of the agree to the rules, and you can vary the rules, but. It still catches catch can wrestling, even though you might right. vary the rules right. here and so there. It was, it's interesting, but in 1840s, they there was no written rules, so they were negotiating. Right. So let's say two men gonna have a fight. Uh, I mean, the wrestle, and uh, they have to negotiate because there was no written set of rules for catch as catch can wrestling yet. And it's interesting. One of the most famous uh, 1840s wrestlers. Adam Ridings or uh, uh, Matley, that the guy that I mentioned before, James Matley or William Buckley or James Buckley and a bunch of other guys who were the top-notch professionals of, of that era, they, their conditions varied, you know? Right. Like Adam Ridings, he personally preferred to wear spiked shoes. And uh, you right. cannot take... And you cannot take that from him. He's, his motivation, I mean, of course, we know what that means if two men wrestle in spiked shoes. We understand <laughs> what that means. But his yeah. motivation uh, was different. He said, you know what? Not to sleep. I mean, I'm using the spiked shoes like the footballer is, uh, is uh, like a soccer player or like mm. a runner. Like not to sleep, you know what I mean? Because I don't want to, I don't want to accidentally get pinned. So, mm -hmm. but you know, we all understand what that means, right? Yeah. So, so he he just he just needed to kind of whitewash his um, old habits. Right, right. You know? He said that that all this these hard these shoes and maybe spikes or whatever are for the grip, so I don't slip. <laughs> Right, right, right. But meanwhile, so, meanwhile, if he kicks the guy in the shin, uh, you know, it was negotiated the rules. It's legal. I wore these shoes. Let's go. <laughs> so yeah, it's you know what I mean. Right, right. It's it's kind of like um, it is. That's the time when shoes became a tool or a weapon. You know. <laughs> yep. Well, it's interesting right. because right now in grappling, um, because I come from a wrestling background. You know, I, uh, I, I wear shoes, but a lot of people come from like a judo or a jiu-jitsu and they don't wear shoes. And it's interesting they because it does, it does make a difference. And actually, that is the reason I wear shoes is because I could create more pressure with the sole because it grips to the mat and I could drive. Whereas with my feet, I can't quite do that. But, you know, other people and it's great because today you'll see matches, let's say, in mixed martial arts, which I think is maybe the closest modern analogy to, to – up and down fighting and to catch catch right. Canada the old time um, right. is that some people choose to have fucking wrestling shoes and some people choose to be barefoot. Right. It's, it's a choice. So it was always, it was always at least, at least till 1856. It was a matter of two wrestlers negotiating that kind of stuff. So what's going to be the conditions of the fight? What, what they're going to wear? Like, what, what, what are the conditions, right? Now, 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 what? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. In 1856, uh, they just decided, the people who were like big bosses, right? The people who were running that business, they decided that it just can't continue like that. Because, I mean, they understood that, 
like the sport has to have written set of rules and had to be under control and had to be transparent and understandable to other to representatives of other wrestling schools because we're talking we're talking 1850s by that time the cornish devon wrestling ring was well established the cumberland westmoreland wrestling ring was well established and they covered most of the country so the Lancashire wrestling wanted to expand uh, their territories, the business as well. But to yep. do that, to do that, you, you, you can't just like go from fight to fight and negotiate it on the, on the basically individual basis, right? It's just right. impossible. You have to make sure you have your set of rules, which are clear, transparent, unchanged. So yeah. it's like set in stone. If that's what we have as the rules of the catch as catch can, that's it. And that happened, and that happened, and the rules, uh, like I mentioned, they were written by the owner, uh, Nelson Warren, and uh, the owner of the Snipe Inn. Uh, Snipe Inn, it was originally a pub. Uh, then they they built a grounds, uh, like, a, like a little arena, arena, uh, like, for, for wrestling and some other activities, uh, sports like running, uh, they call it a foot racing, some other sports, local sports that, that were the high leaping and, and some other sports, uh, rural sports mostly. Uh, and uh, so that guy, uh, the Warren, the Warren guy, he just decided that I'm going to have that all written. And that was a new chapter in Catch a Sketch Can history. Since now, the then, snipes, the, wait, the snipes, the snipe in rules. Where was the snipe in? So the snipe, in, the snipe in it's Ashton, and that's the. <laughs> it's interesting. I'm 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 so glad you asked me that question. The thing is, uh, if if if. I mentioned East Lancashire, right? But the Lancashire County is a little bigger than just East Lancashire. So East Lancashire is basically, is basically, I mean, nowadays we would call it Greater Manchester and Blackburn, Blackburn District. That's what East Lancashire is. It's Great Ma Greater Manchester and and the the Blackburn Blackburn is up north Blackburn district so that's that's what it is outside that area no one ever heard anything of catch of Lancashire catch a sketch can or anything or up and down fight or anything and uh, so the the locality uh, by 1856 the major town in East Lancashire becomes uh the ashton underlined so the snipe in grounds that's the full name of the arena was located there uh basically during that era and from i would say from 1850s to 1870 including uh it was uh wrestlers from ashton underline that were considered the best catch a sketch can wrestlers and the rules uh, come out of that town and everything. And uh, I mean, speaking of one of the first people who, who brought uh, Lancashire catch a sketch can to the United States was Edwin Bibi, right? And yeah. uh, Edwin Bibi was 
from Ashton Underline, the pioneer. Uh, one of our pioneers uh, was right from there, and he was one of the best wrestlers from from that town. And their their local champion, he was champion the 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 holder of the Golden Cup of Lancashire for quite a while, undefeated. Well, and, and what, what's interesting is that, you know, when you actually study the history and then you actually go, uh, if you ever get out to England and drive around those, those districts in the, that, uh, those counties, you know, uh, like you mentioned, so Ashton, I know that, you know, a lot of the, 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 the popular uh, narrative is, uh, which comes mostly from, uh, I think, kind of uh, maybe erroneous old interviews, website, uh, advertising copy and such. But the, the it, Ashton was really like where it was first written down and, and Bolton really became kind of the home of catch wrestling. The, 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 the I don't want to call it really the birthplace because it predated it, but a lot of people say it's Wigan. And while it was popular with, in Wigan, because Wigan is one of those towns in that region, Wigan wasn't the, place where it was created and it wasn't um like considered like the biggest uh producer of catches catch can champions is that fair to say uh the thing is the catch was evolving so the 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 territories were changing over the over the century so i would like to say you mentioned bolton and that brings us all the way back to huh, I don't even know, to probably 1300s. That's when it all has started. And probably that's the right time for us to mention how did that up and down fighting actually <laughs> came to yeah, and, 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 I, and And it's interesting, too. If you, if, if you don't mind, it's very interesting to me because... Right, right. Absolutely. When, that's when, what I learned from your book, what I learned from your book is kind of where we're going now. And I really enjoyed this. Because I dug as deeply as I could, and you found some really, really great stuff that's, you know, well-sourced. And your bibliography in the book is amazing. Again, the story of Catch, uh, and it's Ruslan. And how do you say your last name, just so I'm not messing it up? Pashaev, exactly like you said it. Pashaev. Pashaev. Okay, yeah, Pashaev. Just like you said it. Right, right. So the thing is, the thing is, uh, at some point when, when I was doing that research, I realized, okay, there is no way on earth that it was historically a local thing like it just has no connection you know like lancashire is not an isolated area it's not it's not on the moon and it's not on the mars you know it's it's well, in billy, england one, one thing billy used to always tell me and sorry to interrupt but i think this is relevant that he used to tell me that you know the 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 sun what they used to say is the sun never set on the british empire and Catch right. Catch Can was was really huge because up by Liverpool and that whole area was like a port. It was a port city, and and there would be like wrestling styles from all over the world that poured into that area, and they took what they could from all these various wrestling styles that the sailors would bring back after going on these journeys around the world. Yes, yes, that's true. So what what was discovered? Uh, what was discovered that in in the 1300s, in the 1300s, um, the main uh, I would say the main trade that uh, East Lancashire was famous for was wool, and wool. the king of England 
King Edward II, he decided, okay, we're not uh, exporting the raw wool anymore. We're going we're gonna to start making our own cloth, right? And so the, the weavers, the local weaving industry and et cetera, et cetera, manufacturers, they started like promoting it, but they shortly are, are understood, they figured that out, that their skill, the skill of their local weavers and spinners and whatever it is, is, is just not enough. So they decided to invite professionals. The people, the nation that was considered among European people the best at that particular uh, uh, at that particular profession. So the the next king of England was Edward III, and he decided, okay, I'm bringing people from Flanders. Flanders back then it was a country. It was back then it was nowadays Flanders or it's a part of Belgium, Kingdom of Belgium. Back in a day, it was an independent county, like a country. The count was was like a monarch, you know, like uh, it was very small. And well, uh, and I think not to interrupt, but I think I think people would in would recognize the flag of Flanders, even though they may, may never even heard the name of the, the old country. But that flag, which is that 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 like heraldic. That herald-looking lion, the black lion that Karl Gotch used to wear all the time. Right, right, right. Uh, that the, the city of Antwerpen, uh, that's Karl Gotch. Uh, Karl Gotch is that is from that city. Yes, yeah, Antwerp. That's Antwerp. Antwerp. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's it's the city in Flanders. Right. So the thing is that black lion, of course. So the King Edward the Third, he brought those artisans in England. He brought. Edward III brought those artisans, the Flemish weavers, to the region which was famous for its wool uh, in East Lancashire. And the first settlements of those people were basically, it's 1337, that's when they first landed, and it was the, the town of Bolton. That's why probably it will be very, very fair to say that yes, the town of Bolton is is the heart is 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 the motherland of um, of that style of, of wrestling. Of because wrestling. because because not only did not only did the weavers bring over skill with wool when they moved into Bolton, they also brought down wrestling. Right. So, what was the Flemish wrestling? Flemish people are Germanic people, right? So uh, they they practiced the, the the different Germanic tribes had their different styles of wrestling. But let's be uh, specific. Let's talk specifically about the Flemish, Flemish and Dutch, Flemish and Dutch style of wrestling, which was practiced over there in in, in Netherlands, uh, Low Countries, uh, Low Countries. That that's how they call it back then, and and uh, and the Flanders. So that was. Basically, up and down wrestling, all in, N no limits whatsoever. The, the only one li you cannot punch, like you cannot throw a punch with your fist. Other than that, you're more than welcome to do whatever you want. And the winner is, yes, fair back fall is counted as constituted the victory, as they would say, 
but also submissions, submissions, and submissions. Most of the bouts were won by submissions. That what was Flemish uh, wrestling was about. Up and so down the, wrestling. So, so the people from modern day Belgium, uh, Belgium brought in the 1300s to the city of Bolton this downfighting, right. which eventually mixing with the local people becomes Lancashire up and down. Is that fair? Right. Right, that's absolutely true because obviously those those foreigners they 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 came and you know they settled there and uh, they started uh, like they like their wrestling started uh, it was a fusion of styles. I would I would say that Lancashire up and down fighting is a combination of two styles: the original Flemish up and down wrestling plus folk English, because mm -hmm. kicking shins is English thing. There right. was, like, they, they, the Flemish didn't really care that much for, 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 uh, for kicking, you know, they, they, liked, they liked hugging, you know, they liked to strangle you to death. They, they didn't care for kicking, you know, and they... So, so they well, let me ask you a question, and, I, and I'm sorry to keep interrupting. I'm just trying to push because <laughs> we've got a limited time. If it was you and me, I would talk forever, but I want to uh, hopefully uh, keep this to under two hours because there's so much to cover. So I, the one thing that I want to talk about, though, in, in regard to all this, so these, these Flemish weavers bring uh, their style of wrestling, which includes down wrestling, includes submissions, um, th that mixes with the East Lancashire style um, of like typical the shin Typical English wrestling, yeah, typical English folk wrestling. So then all of this merges, but at the same, well, actually prior to that, another sport of catches catch cans coming up in the South, because for people typically East Lancashire, Manchester, Bolton, Wigan, all those areas are all up in the North. The northern part of England, whereas London's at the very southern tip. What was the London catches catch can that was coming in? Because that wasn't coming from the Flemish. That was like the Germans, right? Right. So the thing is, uh, London London catches catch can wrestling uh, is is way 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 younger. It's it's not thirteen hundreds. It's the beginning of nineteenth uh, century. So I would I would roughly say eighteen fifteen. Uh, there was a guy, his name was uh, Captain Cleus, and that Captain Cleus was, uh, he was from Switzerland, and uh, so he was a professional military instructor. Uh, he was famous on the continent for his, uh, produced his many wrestling, uh, combat sports manuals for militaries. So for like unrestricted fight you know because i mean like we're talking 1850s that's the napoleonic wars like it was basically a whole entire europe against france <laughs> Napoleon, right? and right, england right. was fighting with with europe against france so they brought that guy in in england uh to train uh to train um militaries and he, what what's what was his style of wrestling it was all in wrestling for militaries the ground wrestling, essential part of it, uh, holds of any part of the body, fine. Legs, feet, just whatever you want, knees, thighs, cuffs, whatever you want. 
strangleholds, great. Just whatever you whatever you want, whatever you please. Take a hold, submit, knockout, whatever. So that's that guy established that military Swiss or also Germanic uh, wrestling because it was all in wrestling in in London. And um, there was, but, but um, he started. Even though, even though um, he his influence was well after the 1300s with the Flemish wrestlers, his style of all in wrestling that came up through London, uh, he was the first. Even though it kind of he came way after the Flemish, he his he was the first to actually call that style catch as catch can. Is that fair? He, he was he was calling his style loose wrestling, freestyle, basically freestyle. I, if we okay. say if we, if we if we literally translate, he was calling a loose or uh, freestyle. I mean, it's a freestyle wrestling. Mm. Mm. So basically, unlimited, unlimited action, free, just loose, meaning there is no fixed hold. Because, like we said previously, the English people were very accustomed to. A fixed hold kind of wrestling, you know, collar and elbow, or let's say back hold, or some other styles, right? Collars alone, there were there was a style where the collars alone you can grab only by the collar, you know. But this, but, but the styles, the styles that were, had a very liberal rule set that said you could start in any way you wanted or do anything yeah, you wanted. Yeah, yeah. It was it was totally freestyle wrestling as as we would call it, and yes, he called it a catch as catch can London London school catch as catch can as well, and it's interesting. Uh, originally, no one really, I mean, especially in London, I mean, no one really liked it because. They were like, there was like, I would say, a campaign against Cleas and his methods of wrestling in the newspapers because they simply style <laughs> unmanly. Like they, they said it's, it's inappropriate to wrestle on the ground. It's inappropriate to strangle. It's inappropriate to grab by legs. The fair wrestle is a fair wrestle and you either wrestle fair or just don't even call it a wrestle. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, they, yeah, they, it's the it's the same problem that that was happening that forced the change from up and down fighting into up and down wrestling, and then catches catch can. It was this idea right, right. that the ground wrestling is some sort of thing that's beneath humankind. Yeah. It's animalistic. It's nasty. Right, right. They called it a dog fight. They called mm -hmm. it. A, they called it a dog fight, and uh, so. But you know what? The thing is, uh, at some point, uh, they, the German immigrants, German immigrants uh, and Swiss immigrants, uh, they established their own. Uh, it was called uh, German Gymnastic Society of London. And the major, the major wrestling that they taught was that freestyle wrestling. Uh, I mean, basically, catch as catch can wrestling. And uh, uh, they started teaching amateurs. And that was huge. Because like we said, and we pointed that out, that in East Lancashire, with all that up and down tradition, there was no amateurs. No amateurs whatsoever. The London wrestling, the London wrestling of Catch a Sketch Can, originally militaries only. That's true. But later it became an amateur sport. It, and that's how it evolved. So originally it was German Gymnastics Society that was promoting 
the catch as catch can wrestling in London. And then, uh, it, I mean, again, it was evolution. Then it became accepted by the, by the people, local people and, uh, the, the, the popularity of it really grew quick and, it was, first of all, it was more entertaining and more fun to watch than other, like, let's say, old school kind of styles, you know, like the matches between the catch as catch can amateurs were sure more exciting that, than the matches between a backhold amateur. You know what I mean? Right, like, right, yeah. There's no, compar- there's no comparison between the two. Like, it's, right, so it became popular. And... Uh, and uh, at some point, at some point, uh, it was generally accepted as one of the amateur wrestling styles. And it was London. I just want to point that out, that it was London catch as catch can, which later became what now we would call a freestyle Olympic kind of wrestling. Right, which that was the style of catch as catch can that when the first Olympics came to London, right, uh, what right, was it, like right, 1904, 18, whenever they did it in London and they had that first, it was not called freestyle, it was called catch catch can but it wasn't right. the East Lancashire style, it was the London style. And it was 100% amateur London school of Germanic, German, Germanic, Germanic uh, gymnastic society. That was their style. That, that was their so, style. So, so that strain of wrestling from London eventually becomes the Olympic wrestling we see today. Yeah. It becomes yeah. in the United States, the folk style wrestling that we see today. And right. the East Lancashire continues along this kind of more like boxing, more like professional. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a profession. It's out there to make money. Right. I would say, you know, if we would like really would like, like just call it somehow, I would say, uh, Yes, the London catch as catch can gave birth to Olympic style wrestling, freestyle wrestling. Right. Uh, and catch as catch can evolved into pro wrestling because it was always pro wrestling. Always. Always. Since the get go, there was no amateur events in Lancashire whatsoever. People were making money. That's that's what it was all about. Well, well and one thing I wanted to touch on, um, you know, in your book, you talk about this golden era of catch wrestling, and that's the golden era in of the East Lancashire kind of uh, catch wrestling you're speaking of. Because here in the United States, the golden era was guys like Hackett Schmidt, Frank Gotch, Tom Jenkins, um, you know, uh, those guys, right? Like that golden era, which came in after the, the Civil War in the United States and became very popular. And I think the American style is in my opinion and you could correct me if you think differently but from my research i think the american style is an amalgamation of of the lancashire catch irish collar and elbow and kind of that uh west virginian rough and tumble but it was still contested under those lancashire style catches catch can rules i don't know you can tell me if i'm wrong I would say I would say I would even expand that uh, that uh, a little. I would say yes, of course, uh, for for because uh, 
in America, the the professional wrestling rink in the 1800s was mostly represented by collar and elbow wrestlers. So yes, uh, that influence was huge. And I would say American pro wrestling, it is, like you said, amalgamation of East Lancashire catch a sketch can, uh, Irish collar and elbow in the, the one that was practiced in, in the United States. Uh, and um, uh, even, even I would say uh, French style wrestling because there was like a French immigration to the United States that brought their Greek or Roman wrestling that also affected in the 1870s, especially that also affected. And of course, I'd like to mention the side hold. Uh, I wow. remember the side hold wrestling, one of the oldest wrestlings that we had in the United States. Uh, and I remember the interview of Frank Gotch. He was asked, so when you were young, what, what kind of wrestling you did? Because he was a farm boy. Uh, in Iowa, and, and he said, you know what, I didn't know anything about catch as catch can. I was a side-hold wrestler. That's what <laughs> Midwest, that's what he said. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, historically, I like, let's say, I live in Ohio. It's also Midwest. So yeah, historically, those, the Michigan, the Ohio, the Iowa, those states, it was side-hold. It was also one of the local wrestling styles that also was kind of like joined uh, into, into that fusion of different styles yeah. finally became, as a final product, it became known as American pro wrestling. Well, I think it's weird. And, and, I, and we can go back to the East Lancashire golden era. Uh, but I real quickly want to say that it's interesting because I do think that the Irish styles of wrestling got introduced into the catch-as-catch camp twice. I do believe that a lot of the, obviously the immigrants and whatnot in the way that uh, Frank Gotch did side hold wrestling and then went on to become a catch-as-catch camp champion. I have a feeling that a lot of the immigrants in Ireland that then went over to, the, to Lancashire County um, brought with them their style of wrestling mixed that with, the up and down fighting and the Flemish wrestling because of, you know, guys like Pop Sharnock, uh, Billy Riley, all the, you know, the, the Carroll yeah, brothers, can, can, all these Irish immigrants. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like let's, let's say uh, one of the, like two, two of the most popular uh, late 1800s, early 1900s wrestlers, catch Lancashire, catch us, catch can wrestlers in England were actually of Irish descent. It was Joe Carroll, Joe Carroll yeah. of Italy. It's basically Wigan. I mean, it's near Wigan. And Tom Connor, Tom Connor of Wigan is one of, both are Irish people. Uh, but yeah, they were from East Lancashire, the Wigan wrestlers. And uh, like, I remember that interview of Joe Carroll. They said, Joe, you're, you're one of the best catch wrestlers in, 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 in England. So was your dad a wrestler or anything? And he said, oh, yeah, sure. My dad was a collar and elbow wrestler. That's exactly when, my point. Right. So, like, let's say, obviously, because Joe Carroll, he was born in East Lancashire, his style of wrestling was 
catch as catch can, but his father's style of wrestling, because he was an Irish man who relocated, who moved from Ireland to East Lancashire, to Wigan, Kinley. Uh, his style of wrestling was obviously color and elbow, that's without a doubt. So influence is very clear. And you know what? It's interesting. I remember that one article. It's, it was actually in Ashton. Uh, they had... Um, they had a separate event, you know. They had a Lancashire wrestling, and they would always have a separate event, Irish wrestle. So, wow. you know, I mean, wrestle, you know. So back then, it was, so the Irish people, the immigrants who, who moved to East Lancashire, originally, they were still wrestling only color and elbow, right? And uh, you see how, like, that generation, the Joe Carroll's father, it's, Collar and elbow, Joe Carroll, it's evolved more into catch as catch can. And uh, I think a lot of collar and elbow techniques, obviously. I mean, even the opening hold, I mean, neck and elbow, right? Well, that's almost like if you look at any WWE match, it's like a trope. It's like a cliche. They always tie up in collar and elbow. It's collar and elbow. Yeah, it's it's an, uh, like whatever they called it. I mean, right, right. If if there is a cloth, then it's it's a it's a it's a collar and elbow. If if no, you you just you just it's a neck and arm, right? Neck and elbow, right. neck and arm, right? And yes, it's a typical opening hold for catch wrestling as well. Obviously, it is related. It's um, I- I- yes, of course. So you mentioned the golden era. Uh, uh, golden era, it was a great time for catch as catch can wrestling. Not from the point, not just from the point of view that it 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 universe it 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 just conquered, uh, completely conquered the hearts of all the fans in Lancashire. That already was happening, but it also expanded the territories during that golden era. And and I want to say it's eighteen sixties. That's when Lancashire was rocking and rolling and it became famous all over the country. Like it became so well known that even uh, the London-based uh, sporting newspapers started covering uh, Lancashire Cash-A-Sketch-Can championships. Wow, wow. It was a- step that was that was a huge step just imagine just 20 years ago half a legal sport right you can get arrested for that and now the top sporting publication in 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 london is is have your picture right in there like a front cover right yeah so that's that that's what happened during the golden era and Obviously, the major titles was uh, they were established. Uh, they were established in Lancashire, and those were they called it a Golden Cup, the Gold Cup of Lancashire. It was a sniping cup. Uh, the the Edwin Beebe, one of American pioneer wrestlers, the the Lancashire wrestler from Ashton, who moved to United States and was promoting the sport here. One of the very first few people who did it. And uh, so he was um, he was a holder uh, of that trophy at some point. There was also a Copenhagen grounds that was an arena in Manchester 
the sporting arena in Manchester, the Copenhagen Grounds belt, championship belt. So those were the two major trophies, the cup and the belt. And it's interesting, but uh, in, in the history of, of, of the sport, there were only two people uh, who actually held both titles. The one, is, uh, the one was William Shorer, notably, he was also from Ashton. I just want to mention that uh, how many Ashton, uh, how many great wrestlers the city of uh, the town of Ashton Underline produced. So that guy, William Shore, later relocated to United States as well. And he was one of the greatest teachers. He, he lived in, uh, I think, Lawrence, Massachusetts. And that's where he stayed. He he was running his own wrestling school, and obviously one of was one of the pioneers, pioneer educators. He was a scientific wrestler, not just a wrestler of a championship class that he was, because, like I said, he he held <laughs> at, the, uh, at at some point in in his career. Uh, but if you want me to probably summarize it, who was the most decorated and simply the best pound-for-pound wrestler of East Lancashire at Catch-a-Sketch-Can in the 1800s. I would just name one person without a doubt. It's Teddy Law from Rochdale. Um, He was undefeated for many, many years. And he was the only person in history who held cup and belt at the same time. There was wow. no other wrestler who achieved that undisputed kind of championship of Lancashire. Like I said, William Shore held both trophies, but on different occasions, like during different stages of his career. Uh, Teddy Law held both titles at the same time. That that's probably was what's the greatest achievement a wrestler from Lancashire could possibly have. Now, this is something that I hold near and dear because this was something both Carl uh, and Billy really impressed upon me a ton. Now, I don't really share this that much, but um, they used to always just tell me, like, you know, the real shame is, is that people don't know. Like, there were so many great wrestlers of the catch catch can style. And they were, there was a time where there was a lot of them and nobody even knows who they are. So I guarantee you 99.9% of the people listening to this podcast have never heard of Teddy Law. Right. And the thing is when, when I was writing the story of catch, I kind of set a main goal for myself to build those lineages. I was like, so we have two major titles. We have the Golden Cup of Lancashire and we have the Belt of Lancashire. I'm going to figure out the names of every single wrestler who at some point of their career held those titles. And that was, I think, I mean, this is my, I mean, obviously every person who would ever read that book would, would have their own favorite chapter or character or whatever. For me, it's golden era. Golden era of catch is what I really put a lot of effort to build that lineage, like to basically put all those names 
forgotten names yeah. of the wrestlers yeah. held those titles the most prestigious. Like right now, we have a world championship or a American championship. In Europe, they have a European champion. But back then, there was no such a thing. There was no even English championship. Like 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 we would say. Uh, in, in the 1800s, whomever would come from England to America, they would call themselves an English champion, right? That was a common practice. And, and, uh, but back then, if we look at it, there was no such a thing as the champion of England at Lancashire Kachaskachkan. There was no. There were champions, the holders, the holder. If you, if you, if you ask who's the champion, the one who holds the the gold cup, that is the champion, obviously, or the one who holds the belt. And better you hold it both, both those trophies. That means you're undisputed. That means, because those were two different promotions, uh, the biggest promotions of that era, the belt and the cup. And to hold uh, both title at the same time was, was, that's it. So to build those lineages and to put together all those names, that's the really the thing that I'm proud the most. And well, I mean, that used to be very impressed upon me by them. Like they just kept saying like, because, you know, I was always interested in, I mean, this is the kind of conversation that I would have with Carl or I would have with Billy all the time because, you know, like you, I'm very interested in here. They actually had first person contact with a lot of these people or grew up in the region and whatnot. So I'd always be trying to pick their brains. And that was one of the things they always told me is they said, you know, it's really a shame because nobody even knows anymore. In fact, I remember, I think I told you this story. I went over to, to England in 2011 with Billy, uh, a friend uh -huh. of mine, Andy Crittenden, runs a, a, a couple of successful martial arts gyms in um, Doncaster. And he brought us over. He was the first one to bring us over. And we did a little tour uh, all around, north and south. It was actually incredibly grueling. It almost killed me because I had to do everything because Billy was really crippled up. And I mean, I was... <laughs> Uh, it was just, it was a rough schedule. I was in a different town every day and couldn't sleep uh -huh. or whatever. But anyway, um, you know, even when we landed in Wigan, our taxi driver, the guy who was driving us around, he was like really into martial arts. He knew everything about mixed martial arts, and the UFC and Bruce Lee and every other thing. And here we are right there in Lancashire County. And he had no clue, not only that Billy Robinson was who he was, but he had no clue about Catch His Catch Can. That was in his own backyard. So, you know, I think that's why guys like Carl and Billy really pressed that, that there were so many great names and it's a real shame that nobody really knows who they are. They just know like, oh, Frank Gotch or something. I mean, it's just, it's not even hard. That's like, that's not even difficult research to do. Like the, the guys that you're bringing out, I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. This book, The Story of Catch, guys, go get it. It's on Kindle. Um, and, and you are going to be trying to make a, like a soft cover or a hardcover yes. version. Is that right? So I'm going okay. to I'm going to do it shortly, right? Yeah, this is this book is amazing, and not only does uh, Ruslan write very well, but for me, the bibliography is so good. It's like almost a third of the book. Like it's like so well detailed. All his sources. I mean, you could. This is the kind of thing that would pass academic muster if he was in a uh, uh, you know in an academic setting or whatever. But he's written it in a in a kind of a popular style. I would really recommend all you guys go out there and get that. And, and with that, Russo, and I hate to cut it short, but because I, I, as you know, you and I talked like this when we, when we were podcasting. 
Um, right, we, we had to cut it short. We're like, you forever. Maybe, yeah, maybe we should do uh, continue another one because we might just be pushing people's um, uh, capacity for attention at because we're at about ninety minutes, ninety ninety five minutes right now. Uh, in closing, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, when you get yeah. two people that are very like, I don't. I, this isn't an insult. This is a compliment, but very nerdy about the subject matter. You know, like you can go on forever. It's right, or just like like I said, you know, like deep down in my heart, I mean, I know you called me a researcher, or, or deep down in my heart, I'm a wrestling fan. That's what yeah. I always. And you know, when when like I said, when two fans get together, they can like they don't even notice the time, right? <laughs> it's true. They, it's they true. Time exists. They can just like that bring the memories and share the experience and all that stuff, you know, that's a cool, really cool stuff. But yeah, way. but I, like I said in that last conversation, I have to iterate. I mean, you're past the point of fan. You're to me, the difference between what you're doing and a fan, a fan can be very, very interested, can be very excited, but you're actually producing quality content. It's not some schlocky piece of shit to sell something else or anything. Yours is so well-researched. And it's so affordable. I mean, you can get on Kindle for like very, very, very affordably, but it is so well done. And I just, I mean, I think you've, you can call yourself a fan all you want, but you've moved beyond that in my mind. You're a very, you. one of Thank the you. best, one of the best catch wrestling researchers I've ever seen. And I, I appreciate that because you've done work that I haven't been able to do. And I love that. I mean, I really love that. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate that a lot. So, as we're wrapping up here, anything else that you kind of just wanted people who are listening and that are interested in the book? I also don't want to give away the cow. I only want to give them a glass of milk so they go and buy the book. Uh, anything else that you that you want to? Oh, yes. So I would like to say something about uh, probably when I was writing that book. Uh, I mean, yes, I tried to answer my own questions like, okay, so how did the catch started? Okay, what predated that and what happened before that and what and what was even before that? You know what I mean? Like when you yeah. when you're trying to answer those questions, when you're researching, you 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 kind of have that risk of losing the track. For me, you know, and I always reminded it to myself that the most interesting and the most fascinating part of that journey for me, it was those characters, those individuals, those colorful yes. people, the professional wrestlers, catch as catch can wrestlers. And my book, yes, it does have a lot of historical stuff, but the, the, the most of all, I would say it's a book about people. It's yep. a book about the professional wrestlers. I dedicated that book to probably the most famous pioneer wrestler from the 1840s, Adam Ridings of Barry Lancashire. And uh, there were many, many few other wrestlers that I mentioned and what was their life like. Because I didn't just to try, okay, they were just wrestlers. Okay, so what did they do? They just had wrestling matches. You know, I, I tried to understand them like those people who are living their life and obviously wrestling wasn't their primary occupation because uh, 
it was it was one of the things that they did in their lives you know most of them like i said were colliers mm-hmm. and the generation before the colliers like we said they were weavers because it yeah. was a weaving weaving region of england and so for me it is a story of people you know it's 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 not just a story uh, of results of of uh, victories of glorious moments of some winning the belt or the cup became the champion or like some historical events i don't know great matches for me it's the story of people and i would like to share with with all the wrestling fans those new names the names that probably no one ever heard of before and uh, i really believe that that any reader any wrestling fan who would consider reading this book would truly enjoy uh, the story about those people, the real pioneers of catch who, who made everything to happen for us to actually have the catch as catch can even nowadays. Yeah, I, mean, I, think that, I think that one of the things that really connected with me in in addition to what I was saying about Carl and Billy telling me about all these great wrestlers and the fact that you're doing that kind of work, like bringing them out. The other thing that I really like is that I kind of subscribe to a theory of history uh, that's oftentimes called the great man uh, theory of history in that it is that these individuals that move, you know, that, that make these things happen and, you know, make history kind of happen, the great man theory. And I, you're, your writing style and your approach really seem to, to kind of uh, be congruent with that as well. So yes, yes, it's true. For me, you. Yeah, absolutely. For me, it was always the story of those. I called it a story of catch, but in fact, it is a story of those people who made catch happen. Yep. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's that. It's that it's not just promoters. There were great promoters who, like a businessman who, who did it. But first of all, it's those catch wrestlers, like I said, of that very first generation, 1840s. Without them, there wouldn't have probably ever been catch wrestling. And there, and there may not have been. Well, it's interesting. There wouldn't be catch wrestling today. But it's interesting because of the London style of catch wrestling even without those men, the London style might have come up and we might still have Olympic style, but not the professional yeah, we, style. Yeah, we sure would, without a doubt, because that was a totally different evolution. And in my book, I, I make that clear, that point really clear. Like, we shouldn't, we, we shouldn't mix those two. It's two different animals, you know. One mm-hmm. is the professional catch as catch can. It's a Lancashire thing, made in Lancashire, whatever, 1300s. Right, <laughs> and, and there's another story. It's it's a London wrestling. It's an amateur wrestling, and it also produced great, great, great names. And uh, I mean, it became it. Com- I mean, conquered the whole world. Right, we're still watching Olympics. We're watching the watching the world championships, yeah. national championships, and everything. And how many? Yeah, but, how many? but remember this. But remember this. Th- there are no action figures. There are no. There are no uh, pay per views. There are nothing for the Olympics, and that's great. That's a wonderful thing. But the other branch, right. 
I mean, I look at UFC and I look at the UFC and it is firmly in the camp of Lancaster style professional wrestling up and down fighting. Right. It truly is. It, it, they, they expanded, obviously, like we said, originally up and down, up and down fighting was restricted to kind of all in wrestling. Like you can't punch, you can elbow, no problem. Uh, yeah, but Ruslan, here's where I'm going to really tie this together and blow minds. So uh -huh. in the same way today that you have the amateur style of wrestling and you have this professional style, which we'll call UFC or mixed martial arts, right. the, the irony is, is that the people from the amateur style, the London style, come up, guys like Daniel Cormier, guys like Brock Lesnar, guys like Ben yes, Askren, yes. they come up through yes. the amateurs and then they become pro and go to the UFC. Absolutely. And that's so logical. You, I mean, that's a, that's, I would say that's a natural continuation of a, of a career. Yes. Like even if you won, even if you won Olympic gold medal in, uh, in freestyle wrestling, I mean, you still want to continue to do the thing that you love the most, right? You know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't stop you. You know, you, you should, you should advance to another level and just continue as a professional. So that's very obvious. Yeah. I totally well, agree with you. Well, Ruslan, I would love to do this again. Um, I appreciate you uh, sticking with me through the technical difficulties while I try to figure this out. And uh, I really appreciate again, your book, the story of catch, Go on Kindle, guys. You can get it super cheap. It's really a great book. It is such a great book. If you are a student of this sport or a fan, you have to read it. You have to read it so you can speak in an educated way about what's actually going on. Um, Ruslan, thank you again. Um, and if people want to contact you directly, what's the best way? Um, probably Facebook. I'm on Facebook. And... Okay. Uh, they can just uh, type my name, uh, R-U-S-L-A-N, C, C is my middle name, Ruslan C, and then Pashaev, and uh, just about myself, I, I'm a ballroom dance coach uh, and choreographer in Delaware, Ohio, so you will see me, some dance picture, that's me and my name. And yes, I will, I will obviously will be happy to answer any questions of any fans or people who read the book and have some questions, want to get some answers. I'd be happy to communicate. Facebook is probably the best way. Okay, wonderful. Ruslan, again, thank you so much for your time and thank you for your work. Appreciation, appreciation, and thank you so much, Jake, for this unique opportunity. Again, it's a unique opportunity for me to share with people, with um, Catch As Catch Can wrestling fans, uh, my personal individual journey. Like I said, it was six years of intense studies, and there were many people who were who I was doing it together with. Uh, I just want to mention a like pro great researcher from from the state of Wisconsin, uh, Dan Anderson, and I want to mention a professional award-winning genealogist from England, 
uh, Ron Harrison. So those two people, they helped me a lot, encouraged and inspired and supported me in any possible way. I want to thank them for all what they did. And that book uh, also happened because of them and of the work that we did together. That's what I would say. And thanks to everyone. And Jake, again, that's thanks to you. I mean, that's I'm very, very thankful oh, for well, this opportunity. Ruslan, I mean, it's just a great book. Guys, go get a copy. Again, The Story of Catch, uh, Ruslan Pashaev. And uh, it's on Kindle right now. He should have, I think he's going to be, we were talking yesterday, he was telling me he's going to have like an expanded uh, version of hardcover. I'm sure it's going to take a little while, but you got to get your hands on this. It's totally affordable. You can download it to your phone immediately. The story of catch. Uh, and one thing guys in closing, again, this is sponsored by scientificwrestling.com and king of catch What I like here is maybe after you listen to this, you can understand why we're holding this catch wrestling promotion in a bar <laughs> just like it started so many years ago at the independent bar in Orlando. I sure hope to see you guys there to meet you. If you come to the event, please come shake my hand. I want to meet you. I want to talk to you about catch. Um, and if you can't, please support us by going to the website. You can get the pay-per-view and stream it right on your phone or buy a t-shirt. We're going to have uh, event t-shirts. We're going to have t-shirts for each wrestler. Uh, check it out. King of catch wrestling. Dot com. Thanks, guys, for listening, and we'll catch you next time.